morning. Good to see you here today. Feels like the early service, doesn't it? It is the early service, I guess. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 9. Our text brings us face to face with one of the questions that we all ask at one time or another, either concerning ourselves or someone else. That question is, why does God permit such suffering to occur? Country singer Joey Feek died this week, and although I don't know much about her, she and her husband seem to be a fine Christian couple. So he asked, why? Why her? Why now, at just 40 years of age? A trip to any of the children's hospitals leaves you with an ache in your heart. And again, the question, why do children so young and innocent have to battle cancer? Well, the disciples found themselves facing such a situation when they encountered the blind man. On the morning recorded in John chapter 9, a blind man arose unaware that the world was about to change because he was about to meet Jesus. In John chapter 8, John said that Jesus was the light of the world. In John chapter 9, Jesus proves that it is true. As Jesus and his disciples leave the city of Bethlehem, Bethlehem after the city of Jerusalem, excuse me, after the feast of the tabernacles, they came across a man blind from birth. John chapter 9 verse 1 says, And now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind, and his disciples asked him, saying, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, I want you to notice four things with me this morning from this text. And first of all, we want to look at the crucial question. The disciples turned to Jesus, and in verse 2, they asked the why question that we are all tempted to ask from time to time. Why has this happened? In this case, the question was, what is the reason for this man's blindness? They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We look first of all at what the disciples thought. They argue the point as if there is no doubt. There was a common teaching among the rabbis which said, There is no death without sin, and there is no suffering without iniquity. The question, as far as the disciples were concerned, was not if sin caused the blindness, but whose sin caused the blindness. The disciples displayed the beliefs of their day, and they were sure that one of two reasons accounted for this man's blindness. Either this man had sinned or his parents had sinned. Now, it would seem to us that the fact that this man had been born blind would have excluded him from consideration that it was this man's sin that caused his blindness. If it was, 
this man's sin that caused his blindness? What sin could he have committed before his birth that was so dreadful that its punishment was lifelong blindness? One of the old commentators said that one of the strange ideas that existed at that time was that some Jews believed in the pre-existence of the soul, which is the belief that all souls have already existed in the Garden of Eden before the creation of the world. This implied that somehow this man could have sinned in, a, in his former state before he came into this world, and thus his, his punishment was to be born blind. There are those today who want to take this text and say that it proves reincarnation, that this man must have sinned in a previous life. But the idea of reincarnation is found nowhere in Scripture. It is precluded by the doctrine of resurrection. In fact, it is impossible to hold to the doctrine of resurrection and the idea of reincarnation at the same time. But if it were not this man's sin, then the only possibility left was that it was his parents who had sinned. The question of the sin of this man's parents causing his blindness was due to a misunderstanding of Exodus chapter 34 and verse 7, which says the sins of the father will be extended to the third and fourth generations. Really what the scripture teaches us is that sin so deeply corrupts our relationships that several generations of a family may be affected by an individual's sin in the past. Now, what Jesus reveals is found in verse 3. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus answers their question in verse 3 by stating the better question here is not why this has happened, but what does God want to accomplish through it? He further states that neither this man nor his parents' sin has caused the blindness, but rather that the glory of God would be revealed through him. Now, this does not imply that that either this man or his parents are sinless, but rather that their sin is not the cause of his blindness. It did not say that sickness and disease are never the consequence of sin. We know, especially associated in our day with sexual sin, there are consequences, physical consequences of such sin. But it is a great mistake to think that all of mankind's sicknesses and illnesses are due to sin. Jesus is not saying this man was made to go through his entire life at this point blind in order that God would heal him so that the works of God could be made manifest. Rather, he was saying that this man's blindness was something that God used through which his works are made manifest. Tragedies such as illness and accidents give God the opportunity to reveal himself in unique ways. It was a tragedy that robbed Joni Erickson Tata of her ability to move, that paralyzed her. 
But through Joni, the Lord has encouraged thousands, and he continues to display his glory. We cannot choose how God will glorify himself in us, but we can seek to glorify him whatever our situation may be. Beyond the crucial question, secondly, we look at the cure that is offered. In verse 6, Jesus now turns his attention to the blind man. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, in the view of our modern world, the action of covering somebody's eyes with spittle and mud would be more likely to cause a, blind man, a seeing man to be blind than it was a blind man to be able to see. But the primary purpose of the placement of the spittle and the clay on the man's eyes was to evoke hope and expectation in this man who had none. Another reason for the application of this moist clay may have been to convince those that saw the miracle that the source of the healing, the means that was used, was not what caused the miracle, but rather that it was Jesus who was the healer. In verse 7, Jesus commands this man to go and wash Yet we should note that in spite of the fact that this man had not requested a cure and displayed no faith, he did as Jesus told him to do. Why did Jesus heal in this unusual manner? By making mud and applying it to this man's eyes and telling him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Why didn't he just speak the word as he did a little bit later to raise Lazarus from the dead? To his credit, the blind man didn't have much to go on. But then he didn't have much to lose either in carrying out Jesus' command. And so it says he went and he washed and he come back seeing. We not only see the cure that is offered, we see a rather confused crowd. In verse number 8, the blind man's neighbors are amazed at his healing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said... Is not this he who sat and begged? And some said, this is he. And others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man, named, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and I received my sight. And then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. The locals were used to seeing this man sit and beg for a living. They were astonished that he was obviously now able to see. And they asked him how this had happened. And, they told, and he told them about a man named Jesus and how he had cured him. Now, according to Jewish law... When someone was cured of the disease, they would have to have that cure certified by the local religious authorities. The neighbors now take the man to the Pharisees that they might examine him. 
This immediately posed a very crucial question for the Pharisees. How could they certify this man as being cured and continue to reject the one who had cured him? Now, look with me at the council's inquiry. The first inquiry is in verse number 13. Ultimately, the blind man is brought to the religious leaders. It says they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees, and now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put clay on his eyes, and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs, signs meaning miracles? And there, were, there was a division among them, and they said to the blind men again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The miracle caused a debate among the religious authorities. Some argued that a person who would work on the Sabbath, who would violate the law by not keeping the Sabbath, couldn't possibly be from God. To the Pharisees, the legalistic keeping of the Sabbath was more important to them than the stunning miracle of a blind man being given his sight. In verse 18, we look at the interview with the parents. Because some of the religious leaders <clears throat> objected and say, said, how can one who is able to do these things not be from God? And they refused to believe the man who was blind until they questioned his parents. So we read in verse 18, <clears throat> but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, that they would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Although the parents, when questioned, confirmed that this man was their son and that he was born blind, they hedged. They denied knowing how his healing had come about. Fear caused the parents to seek to remove themselves from the spotlight, from the scrutiny and the wrath of the Pharisees by telling them that their son was old enough to answer for himself. And then in verse 24, we look at the second inquiry of the blind man. So now the Pharisees again cross-examine the blind man, beginning there in verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. Now, 
What that really means in context is now tell the truth. Tell us the truth. So help you God, tell us the truth. Glory, give God the glory. We know, they said, that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now, under the glare of their hostile probing, this man asked them, perhaps with a more of a bit of irony in his voice, saying, I've already told you once. Why are you asking me again? Do you also want to be his disciples? Well, we see their reaction in verse 28 and 29. Notice the contrast between what the Pharisees claim to know and what the blind man says he knows about Jesus. The man continues his response to the Pharisees in verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sin, and you are teaching us. And they cast him out. Now, the we found in these verses is emphatic. Whatever the case with blind beggars may be, we know things. We religious experts have knowledge. And then they began to lay it out in a very concise manner. In response to the blind man's suggestion that they wanted to be the disciples of Jesus, they angrily replied, no, we follow the law of Moses. They say they know that God spoke through Moses, but then they said, this fellow. You ought to underline that little phrase in your Bible. This fellow. They would not even name the name of Jesus. Because the word, the name Jesus in in Hebrew is Yeshua, Joshua. And it means Jehovah saves. How could they say Jehovah saves is not from God? The end result, according to verse 34, is that they, when they couldn't win the argument, they cast him out. That is, they excommunicated him. Now, the, type, the testimony of the blind man is found in verse number 30. And the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. He said, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the former blind man is moved more by the amazement uh, that these powerful religious leaders didn't know where Jesus was from than by fear of what they could do to him. 
He marveled at the way the Pharisees seemed to ignore the evidence that was before their very eyes. In the case of the Pharisees, their very devotion to God, misplaced as it was, became their greatest obstacle to seeing what God really was doing. Now notice what this man claims to know on the basis of this miracle. Now earlier in verse 24, in response to the Pharisees' suggestion that Jesus is a sinner, he says he doesn't know. But then in verse 25, the blind man said, this is what I do know. I used to be blind, but now I'm not. Now I see. There's a great example here of how to be a witness as a believer. Many people are afraid to say anything about the Lord Jesus for fear that they're going to be dragged into some theological question that's over their head. But being a witness is doing just what this blind man did, telling what God did for you. You are the world's greatest authority on you and what you have experienced. A great Christian once was asked the question, how do you know that you've been saved? He said, because I was there when it happened. Then he quotes the Pharisees' own teaching back to them. He says, I know, according to you, that God does not hear sinners. But I know that God does hear those who worship him and do his will. He also says, I know, and this know is implied in the verse, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The blind man did not even know who Jesus was, but he still stood for the truth. He may have been blind, but even he could see what was going on here, and his gratitude was too great for denial. As it was, Jesus, who gave him his sight, no one is going to make him take sides against Jesus. When they say they cast him out, it means they excommunicated him from worship in the temple. There was a lot to that, socially, economically. He had been outcast, and people would have nothing to do with him. But nothing could take away from him what he had gained from knowing Christ. And look at the response of Jesus in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him and it is he who is talking to you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. When Jesus heard that the blind man had been thrown out by the Pharisees, he went and found him, and he revealed to him who he really was. The man now expressed faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, the blind man had progressively grown and realizing who Jesus was in verse 11, all he knew 
was that he was a man called Jesus. But by verse 17, he called him a prophet. And finally, in verse 38, he called him Lord and worshipped him. Now, we don't know what form this man's worship took. John doesn't tell us. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that the formerly blind man worshipped, and from this, we know that this man has entered into a relationship with Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now, those words are rather haunting to me as a pastor. I think of the many people who have walked down these aisles over the years and joined the church, but they really never give any evidence of worshiping the Lord or of belonging to him, for that matter. Some of those who joined the church never darken the door of the church today. They never give a dollar. They show no interest at all. Have they been saved? Or did they just join a church? I'm sure when the blind man got up that morning, he had no idea that this day would be different from the rest. I'm sure he planned to live out that day pretty much like he did every other day in complete darkness. He did not realize that day that there was a man named Jesus who was going to shatter his darkness forever. Maybe the question for you today is, do you prefer the darkness or would you come to the light? If you're already his, then won't you live so that the world knows that you have been with Jesus? The most radical change that can ever come upon anyone is the change that's created by the new birth. When a person comes to Christ, the Bible says that all things become new. They pass from death to life, from darkness to light, from hell to heaven. That experience is called salvation. It happens to different people in different ways. The apostle Paul was struck to the ground by a blinding light. Lydia was converted in a quiet riverside prayer meeting. It can happen in a thousand different ways. The important thing is that you know it happened. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the Lord Jesus, for what he has done for us. Lord, we're grateful that he came into this dark world and he became the light of the world. And that for each of us who turn from our sins, recognize that we are sinners... And asked to be saved, we too can come from darkness to light. We can know that we have a place in heaven, as sure today as the day we arrive. Father, I pray for each one in this place this morning. I don't know their spiritual conditions. I know that a lot of them, most of them, know you in a personal, intimate way. But there may be one, maybe a few more, who don't know you in a personal, intimate way. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd speak to their hearts through your Holy Spirit as you alone can. I pray that you would convince them that they are sinners. And that that sin separates them from a holy God. 
Help them to understand that Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done in order that they might be saved. They only have to claim what Jesus did on the cross on their behalf. That is, admit that they're sinners and ask that you would save them. So, Father, we pray for those who might need to make that decision this morning. For those of us who do know you as our Lord and Savior, help us, as it says in Philippians, to live as a light in a dark and sinful world. Help us to show the world that there is a difference, a difference that Jesus makes in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you?